It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Shirley, and this is Democracy Day. We've got the elections happening in England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland on Thursday. And for slightly arcane broadcasting reasons, uh, we can't really talk about them on the radio on Thursday. Uh, We'll have to find other things to talk about, which is fun. Uh, So uh, today we did a whole three hours of celebrating democracy, the rules of how you go and vote, the the spin operation that's embarked on by uh, spin doctors to try and manage expectations ahead of polling day and so on. We also shared lots of amazing stories from the doorstep, people knocking on doors and the weird things that happen. So in fact, we'll play, we'll, we'll play a few of those a bit later on in the podcast. But coming up in our big thing uh, today is this United Kingdom. So we'll give you a full rundown of exactly what's happening in the elections in the four corners of the UK. So that's coming up. But first, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. No Robert Crampton today, so no Alibert. Instead, we've got Alice Thompson and Patrick Kidd. Either of you, are you excited about the, the elections, your tales of the election doorstep? Well, your, your one about the, uh, the woman in lingerie on the doorstep reminds me of a diary story I did during a previous election by someone who was campaigning with a Tory minister. I can't remember who. It could have been Jacob Bismarck. And the, the voter came to the door wearing a string vest and, and his boxer shorts. And the minister said, oh, I'm terribly sorry to interrupt you while you're dressing for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and you've, you've presumably been out and about with politicians over the years, Alice. Yeah, my problem was always wanting to go to the loo halfway through the day and having to choose which person that you would then ask if you could borrow their loo. That was always a problem somehow. And then also the battle buses. I remember being on the battle bus before Nick Clegg disastrously lost the Lib Dems almost every seat the day before oh, and doing the interview in twenty fifteen, yeah. And that was deadly because he was so upbeat. We were sitting there eating our what's-its. He had a whale of a time in that election, didn't he? Yeah, he was we like loved on, it. He went to a hedgehog sanctuary, went on a zip wire. It was like he was having we a did gap the lot. year. Yeah. Did the lot on that yellow bus. And then it just all crashed the next day and I just I felt dreadful for him, really. That, well, that's democracy, boy. There's just a, a quick one from a comment underneath Danny Finkelstein's piece to, today about the local elections, which, which tickled me, that uh, a reader said they had a, a Conservative Council candidate come to their door and offered him a glass of wine and a chat and then offered him another glass and was aware that he had a very depressed candidate there who got more and more depressed talking about his party. He said by the fourth glass of wine, he was telling me he was going to vote Lib Dem. <laughs> <laughs> We've uh, just had a uh, message in from Jay in Bristol. Some years ago, we were working as a photographer with Alice Thompson. As she covered Dr. Liam Fox's campaign in North Somerset, we met an elderly man who shouted, My God, you're Alice Thompson! You're Alice Thompson! <laughs> and insisted on driving her to our next location. She was charm itself and survived the trip. How did you manage to text that while you were sitting there? There we are. Do you remember that? 
Yeah. I, well, actually, it is coming back now, I have to say. That are. was quite a good trip. Quite a good trip. I do like that Western Supermare area. There we are. Lovely should be getting stuff. back now, shouldn't I? Lovely stuff. Uh, well, let's uh, sort of st- uh, stick, with, stick with politics and the West Country. Because your column today, Alice, is um, all about the Southwest. Uh, and you, <laughs> it's not porn that's turning off the Southwest. Well, Tiverton is my kind that's of... Where you, that's where you live. Yeah, well, you're Taunton, I'm Tiverton. They're very yeah. different, aren't they? Pretty similar shape, but yes, different. Yes, Taunton's nicer. No, no, we're not. That <laughs> days, days. Sorry, you, don't, you have nothing on Tiverton. But uh, he, uh, Neil Parrish, is our MP for Tiverton. So I went back for the long weekend to talk to people around Tiverton and Honiton, yeah. um, which it now is. And um, it was interesting because the porn was not the biggest issue. Yeah. They're not that worried about it. They all look at tractors. They all believed him looking at tractors because that's what they all do down there. And there were a lot of tractors out on the road. And we did see some great combine harvesters. And so it was. <laughs> and um, quite a lot of jokes about that. No, that wasn't the problem. The problem is everything else, which is a disaster down in the West Country. Because when you talk about levelling up and they talk about the Red Wall, they never talk about the West Country. And they're 5.6 million people down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And they're just not listened to. Once you get past the Cotswolds, where half the Tory MPs seem to live, it's just a blank. They they don't think they've ever heard of anywhere beyond them. And Plymouth, you know, they'd, they've never been to any of these places. And, and actually, it's a real problem. The sort of Cameron Osborne iteration of the Conservative Party, were lo- I, that was when I was working at the Western Morning News before and after the 2010 election. They love bombed that area. I mean, partly because David Cameron went on holiday all the time. And they then won it off the Lib Dems. Yes. But now, and, no and one cares. And turned it all blue. Mm. You know, the whole of, of the whole of Cornwall's blue, most of Devon, apart from... Uh, Exeter was Exeter. the only one. That yeah. one. And a bit of Plymouth. You know, mm. uh, oh, yes, of one course, yeah, in Plymouth as well. There's, there's one Labour in Plymouth. And the same, same is true in Somerset. And But they haven't done anything to sort of hang on to that. And the, I mean, the... absolutely nothing. Boris goes down there for his... He has a holiday house down there, which the family have always had. And he has got broadband put in there and he has a very fast connection now, which everyone's very upset about on Exmoor because they don't. <laughs> um, but he um, he only comes for holidays. Rishi Sunak came once. Do you remember when he hid in Ilfracombe to yes. try and get away from Westminster? On whatever was happening. One day there was something bad. Was that the Owen Patterson affair? And he said it would take him four or five hours to yeah. get back, which is exactly the case. It is yeah, There yeah, is yeah. no transport in that area. So, yeah. you know... They, they so much less is spent on people in the West Country now than it is on the Northern Powerhouse and levelling up in the North. And there is going to be a point when they feel incredibly unloved, unwanted, and they will fight back, I think. Is this the point in the electoral cycle, Patrick, where we have to start taking the Lib Dem seriously? Well, I think that they want us to, of course, yeah. and you're right, that used to be their turf. Cornwall, yeah. I think there were six parliamentary seats yeah. and they used to have, have half of them. I went down during the 2019 general election and did a sort of road trip to the sun, going all the way down the A303 and A30 to the tip to, to New Lynn of Cornwall. Um, and I spoke to a very good Lib Dem candidate in North Cornwall called Danny Chambers, now standing in Winchester for the next time. And he was a rare Lib Dem who... who wasn't an ardent Remain. He said, we have to address why people have voted for Brexit. And it's not racism. It's because they feel cut off. Yeah. They, they feel that, never mind freedom of movement across Europe, we can't move freely across Cornwall. And being told, but we've got some lovely European money for the Eden Project is no good when there's um, holes in your roads. Um, and so they, they, there's a real feeling of being cut off. I also, on that same trip, spoke to David Warburton, now also in a bit of difficulty. <laughs> and he said that um, communication was the issue, both, both broadband, as you mentioned, and um, road and rail, that his constituents just, just really felt that they had no way of communicating with the rest of the country. And I suppose, I suppose I mean, there are all those issues, but the fact that uh, David Warburton has been suspended in Somerton and Froome 
It's not a million miles away from Tiverton and Hollandson. I was speaking to some uh, West Country Tory MPs yesterday and they said it's, it's ba- it was bad enough already. Cost of living crisis, transport, party gate, getting people out to campaign in these elections is bad enough already. Now you're trying to deal with, you know, allegations of sexual assault, you've um, uh, sexual harassment, alleg- you know, po- watching porn in the Commons. None of that is going to help motivate the base, is it? Well, also, I mean, they just can't believe what's going on in Westminster. I mean, you know, they look well, at it and it's, it's all, an alien country it's to all them. Up it's London. Compl- yeah. You're all up London. That's, all, yeah. all that goes on up London. And actually, Patrick's completely right. What happened down then in the West Country is they really didn't like Brussels. So they blamed it all on Brussels. It was like this weird... Yeah. And so did Westminster. And then once that's over, once Brexit's happened, now they're just looking at Westminster thinking, you're just as bad. And yeah. that is going to be the issue for the Tories. They've turned into the next Brexit, really, for them. There's an opportunity for the Lib Dems. There's also, in a piece I've written for tomorrow, um, about independent candidates in the local elections, a real opportunity there for people who perhaps can't make the job jump from Tories to another mainstream yeah. party. I, again, in 2019, I spoke to Claire Wright in East Devon. Yes. Who, in 2009, she campaigned for a better playground and to, yeah. s- to stop the closure of a maternity hospital and was encouraged to stand for the council. She toppled the Tory leader in 2011. Then she stood for Devon County Council, won with 75% of the vote, and then stood for Parliament three times and came second three yeah. times, knocking Hugo Swires. Average down, um, majority down each time. Um, so places like like East Devon, which is pretty close to Honiton, uh, now has a lot of um, independent councils, yeah. and you'll find all across um, the southeast and, and and in London as well. We we might find quite a few. For instance, Havering in in East London, they're putting independent councillors under the umbrella group of the Residents Association in all forty seven seats. They already hold nineteen. There's a big part. Of, there's a big um, element of that where I live as well. There's sort of local. I think again it became it was a, began as a sort of local community group which now has quite a big presence on the council. Yeah, but we don't trust very, the government, so yeah. we'll do it. And you can't find many people who want to stand as a Tory or Labour or Lib Dem anymore, is it? I mean, I, I asked every, all my friends in Devon, I was like, is anyone going to actually think about standing? They were all like, but for who? I mean, it's literally that yeah, is the yeah, first yeah. thing they think of, so you're going to have to be independent. Well, also you because you end up having to, you know, defend whatever it is that Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer or yeah. Davies saying nationally. Whereas at least if you're saying, well, look, the only thing I actually care about is this thing that's happening, you know, getting some houses built or stopping that housing development, whatever it might be, without having to shackle yourself to... Uh, or cleaner beaches or picture. bypasses. Yeah. Or... And you get tangible results then to put to the electorate the next time. Yeah. You can say, I opposed this or I wanted this built. Yeah. And you either did or didn't. We're talking about to defend things that political uh, politicians nationally might be saying. George Eustace this morning, the uh, dish of the day served up on the morning round. The Environment Secretary telling Sky News, generally speaking, what people find is by going for some of the value brands rather than their own branded products... They can actually contain and manage their household budget. Why did nobody think of this, Alice? I know. It would have been so easy, wouldn't it? You go to Tesco's, you go to Morrison's, we could have gone down the aisle and just taken those hot cross buns four days after Easter. Yeah. But actually, it doesn't work, does it? We know people are already doing that. That's the problem. They've they've been doing that for the last few months and it hasn't made much difference. I mean, as we you know, we know from yesterday with, you know, elderly women having to get on buses and spend the whole day touring around the country. Of course Boris has given them their bus pass for free. But or not, as it then turned out. Has yeah. he sent her yet one of his bus wine boxes as a present? Maybe that. Yeah, Seeing as you like buses. She, she could burn that, presumably. <laughs> that's uh, given that is, uh, but it's a shocker, isn't it, that, that that's all they can come up with, particularly as he is the environment, food, you yeah, know, DEFRA food, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, secretary. So he should know what he's talking about. And that, actually, it's just, it's, just, oh, I don't, it's just one of those things which obviously fell out of his mouth, practically. You know, we, we get this all the time with politicians, but when they inadvertently reveal more than they thought they should. But the idea, if, you're, if your energy bills are going up by hundreds of pounds, the idea that switching from Kenco to 
Asda's own coffee is going to make the difference. I mean, clearly, you know, if you are struggling to make ends meet, you've probably already done that, and it does save some money, but not enough to offset the, the rises elsewhere. Yeah, I think it was clumsy, and of course, we people will leap on it as a let-them-eat-cake yeah. moment. Well, of course, it's valid if you can't afford things, you go for something cheaper, but... Um, we have another story in, in, in today's paper about how we're all eating too many take, takeaways and becoming yeah. too fat. And maybe the argument could be if you can afford a takeaway, you could perhaps be eating Tesco value beans or whatever. But it just came out very clumsily. There's and... also a case of saying if you're really struggling, uh, you know, in a job, in a bad, in a miserable job which isn't paying very much, uh, and you're struggling to make ends meet, the idea that you should be lectured about having a takeaway at the end of the week, you know, for some people, that's the highlight of the yeah. of the week. But the thing, it should be a matter of personal choice, yeah, of exactly. course. But takeaways are not a human right. Not starving yeah. is a human yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's ultimately and the, the problem we've got. should be slightly more sympathetic about it. Um, let's round things off uh, by recognising that whatever it was that uh, Neil Parrish was doing, at least he wasn't putting his lingerie on expenses. A leading MP in President Macron's party has been forced to resign for charging €2,000 a month for underwear and other clothes to her parliamentary expenses. It's not just us, Alice. Well, that's what I thought. I rather like the fact that the French are at it too, but also... In a very French way. Well, very French, but we wondered what she was allowed and whether they were still... And it just... The the mind boggles, but I was quite interested because I remember when I was writing about civil servants uh, only 10 years ago, they still had a tights allowance. Not a stocking allowance, but a tights allowance. So that you could put that onto your expenses because that's what you had to wear in the office as a woman, and and it is was rather it just for remarkable. Women? I bet there was sort of black, thick, you know, sixty to near, unlike the French who yeah. <laughs> who would know exactly what you should wear into the office. Did but, men have a boxers allowance? Well, that's what I can't remember. Um, I think they or were probably allowance. more interested in the tights allowance um, as a story. Yeah. <laughs> I think we may have single-handedly stopped them. Yes, yeah, so this is um, uh, Coralie Coralie de Bost. Uh, yeah, £2,000 a month on underwear. Can we get that through on our expenses? I'm not sure we can, no. Well, it's amazing how many expenses they got. So they haven't had their scandal yet, have they? They get something yeah. like 80000 quid a year without really being asked what they're spending their expenses it, on. It says in the piece here they get their expenses looked at twice every five years. <laughs> <laughs> they wow. have to put receipts in, but no one looks at them apart from twice. And they and, get free travel, don't they, too? Yes, well, they get 19000 a year euro a year for office equipment, taxes, posts and stuff. 127,000 to pay for their parliamentary assistance. So this clothing allowance of what was about 5,000 yeah. comes on top of that with their 87,000 yeah. or something that they get for, you know, just incidental expenses like moats and duck houses and and no one's going to complain over there. I I loved in the panel with this story though we had some other French, I mean we brought in our duck houses and moats but we had some French expense scandals. The French environment minister Francois de Rougy in 2019, quit after being accused of extravagant spending on luxury dinners. He denied the claims. I don't like oysters. I hate caviar. Champagne gives me a headache, he said. However, lobster and vintage claret was apparently... (laughs) (laughs) And there was also one who spent 12,000 in a year on Cuban cigars. Well, you see, the French are doing it properly, uh, rather than just Googling combine harvesters. Um, oh, you could put a combine harvester on there. That would be put, put, that would be great if it turned out Neil Parrish had put his combine harvester. When I arrived expenses. at the Times, when I was, you know, hundreds of years ago, someone in I was on the foreign desk as the most junior person, and someone put a horse on, which I thought was quite good. Wow! And it was because he was in Afghanistan; and it was the only way to travel. Of course, it was. But I think he may have been. Does that mean last. we've now got the horse here because the company owned the horse? Yeah, they probably still own. <laughs> they might have died by now. It was quite a long time ago, but I was. Thrilled. That is that's quite, the kind of getting thing you could do when you expenses. became a journalist. There is the story about the, one of those stories told in pubs between journalists about the foreign correspondent who claims a camel on expenses, and then the office said, "Well, that belongs to the office now, so the camel should come back to London." 
So he then put in another receipt saying, for funeral costs of Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Kidd and Alice Thompson there. And of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. In a moment, we'll bring you Disunited Kingdom. But first, here are some of the best stories from uh, the doorstep. We asked for people to send in their tales from canvassing, knocking on doors in all weathers. Uh, do it. That's democracy in action. Uh, and some of them were just very, very funny. Let's take a listen. Well, I think we've all had the, the sort of naked story. I remember there was one where the, the councillor ahead of me had um, sort of introduced the conversation and uh, I came along and I had my little dog with me. Um, she had four general elections, sadly passed away this year. Um, and we were on the doorstep and a man looked me up and down and he said, see, I would vote for someone like you, he said, but I'm not going to vote for Harriet Baldwin. A very aroused naked man swung open the door and his stunned face showed he was not expecting a Labour canvasser. The weirdest thing about it was me. I was in the zone and kept him for a good few minutes trying to get his vote. I only said a cheery goodbye when he admitted being a non-voter. Canvassing flats, often elderly people will call out through the door before opening as a measure of precaution. When I was canvassing some flats in Guildford, I knocked on one such door, or so I thought. Excuse me, can I help you, came the thin elderly lady's voice. I replied, yes, my name is Kelly Marie Bundle. I'm your... But then she repeated it, speaking over me. Excuse me, can I help you? So I spoke a little louder and clearer, presuming she was hard of hearing. Yes, my name is Kelly Marie. Then I heard it again. Excuse me, can I help you? Rather baffled, I started again. My name is Kelly Marie... And then I heard a squawk. That's right, the repeated phrase was clearly coming from a parrot. We had a local resident called David Cameron and thought it would make him laugh, or at least smile, if we took Ed Miliband round to knock on his door. It did not. First campaign as a candidate, 19 years old, canvassing in my ward. The door opens, a large fellow in just his pants answers the door. Before I could say anything, he musters, Oh, hello, Simon. How's your mother? Well, whatever his experience with my mother, he did at least vote for me. I was splashed by a pot-smoking granny in a dressing gown. When I was a candidate, someone once answered the door completely naked. I said, I see I've come at a bad time. And he replied, no you haven't. Awkward. I accidentally knocked on an ex-girlfriend's door, forgetting a new married name. Met her husband, good chap, knew me from pictures. We didn't exchange notes, awkward as hell. I don't think I got either vote in that household. One of my funniest encounters with a member of the electorate was during a local government by-election when I met a lady on her doorstep wearing a black satin negligee, fishnet stockings, high heels with a cigarette in a cigarette holder who, when I asked her whether she would be going out to vote that afternoon, just looked at me and said, Now, you really were not who I was expecting this afternoon. I was out canvassing in Wakefield during the 2017 general election and I knocked on a door in Wakefield. Gentleman answered it, came out of his garden, um, told me he was voting Labour and then also said um, he was waiting for his wife to come home and he was just having some homemade rhubarb gin with ginger ale in the garden. I said, how lucky are you? I'm really thirsty, but I'll have to wait till I get back to the office to, you know, have a drink. 
And he very kindly said, would you like to try my homemade rhubarb gin? And normally you have to be very careful on the doorstep and very aware of your security. But it was a nice evening. The guy was a Labour voter and I thought, why not? We're going to be finishing in 15, 20 minutes. So there we were. I took a photo of me and him and popped it on Twitter and thought no more about it. A couple of weeks later, I went back to the same area and knocked on the door of a woman who had seen the picture on Twitter and insisted that I try her homemade rhubarb gin. This lady then decided that she was going to join the Labour Party. So recruiting for Labour through the medium of rhubarb gin. Tells on the doorstep there. Right, coming up next is this United Kingdom. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. From Land's End to John O'Groats, St David's to Southend-on-Sea, and Belfast to Bognor Regis. England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. This is Disunited Kingdom on Times Radio. Uh, yes, it's that time on a Wednesday when we get all around the four corners of the UK to get the very latest uh, political news. Obviously, the election's happening right across the country. Uh, joining me, this is very exciting, Peter McVerry from my sister station, U105 in Belfast. But he's not in Belfast, he's here in the studio. Peter, what are you doing? You've got massive elections happening. I'm going to be back in Belfast to vote tomorrow and then to report on the count across the weekend. I suppose that's the thing. This weird, this weird, I'm still getting used to this weird business of you, we can't really talk about the elections on the day of the elections. So uh, No, we can't. We have no, a nice quiet day tomorrow. Seven o'clock tomorrow morning. It's... Well, it's nice to have you here. Anyway, uh, Peter McVerry from uh, U105 in Belfast. Uh, joining us on the line from Flying the Flag for Wales is Laura McAllister, Professor of Public Policy at the University of Cardiff. Hi, Laura. Hello, Matt. Borida. Borida to you. Uh, giving us the lowdown on the local elections in England, in particular in London, because uh, that's one of the big interesting contests uh, which is happening. City Hall editor at My London News, uh, Josiah Mortimer. Hi, Josiah. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you uh, with us. And uh, flying the flag for Scotland, political reporter for the Scotsman is Hannah Brown. Hi, Hannah. 
Matt. Nice to be here. Nice to have you uh, with us. Right. I tell you what, let's uh, let's kick off with you as you're here in the studio, Peter. It, give us a quick rundown of what's happening in Northern Ireland and why. I mean, obviously, it's always exciting uh, when an election is happening, but this is particularly crucial. It is. Uh, the, it doesn't feel like that we're, we're ever not on the verge of making <laughs> history in Northern Ireland, but we are. We're, we, we're always on the edge of both making history and on the edge of an abyss in Northern Ireland. Uh, this week, we could have the first ever Sinn Féin and indeed the first ever nationalist First Minister in Northern Ireland if the polls are true and Sinn Féin come through with enough first preference and enough transfers in this vote that would mean they would take the role of First Minister as opposed to Deputy First Minister. And we've said it before, but it's worth reiterating, absolutely no legal difference between those two positions, but simply the symbolism of that for Northern Ireland would be immense. And uh, just talk us through the mechanics of of this. How many people are being elected? How are they elected? Uh, When will we get some results? So it's single transferable vote. So you start with your number one, you work your way down the ballot paper. There are 90 seats available in the Stormont Assembly across 18 constituencies, so five people in each. And it's less this time about the first preference vote and more about where those transfers go because those will be the difference. Last time... The DUP had 28 seats in 2017. Sinn Féin had 27 seats, so it was that close the last time. And it will be about, there were surveys this week, I think you you, you spoke before to Bill White from Lucid Talk, and they've talked about three quarters of traditional unionist voters, Jim Allister's party, and a half of Ulster unionist voters have said that they would transfer to the DUP. Those could be crucial. Sinn Féin will be hoping they can get transfers from the SDLP, from the People Before Profit party, and maybe from the Alliance as well. I suppose that's that's the thing. Those headline figures tell us one thing, but actually, the where those second preferences go is so important. Yeah, like the, when we get any indication of first preference votes on Friday or early into Saturday, that won't tell us the editorial story that we're waiting for. It will be Saturday afternoon, maybe even Sunday, when we start to get down to seats number four and seat number five in those constituencies. When we start to see what the makeup of Stormont will be based on that mandatory coalition, that unique system we have in Northern Ireland, where either. The, lar- the largest unionist and the largest nationalist party, uh, as a designation, uh, must both enter government together. And if they don't? If they don't, never really happened before. <laughs> when it has happened, we've had a bit of a, a hiatus. Um, you'll remember, Matt, that historically, if there was a problem before, the Secretary of State had up to a week to decide what to do or call another election. There was legislation pushed through the House of Commons earlier this year. We've now got a six-week window. We don't think all the indications are, including as recently as last night, in a leaders' debate, the DUP leader, Sir Jeffrey Donaldson, was, wasn't being explicit to say that he would or wouldn't go back into power uh, next Monday, but they're going to hold the Northern Ireland Protocol um, over the heads of Westminster and over everybody else, should they be the kingmakers yeah. for Stormont next week. They won't go back in as quickly as that. Well, it's going to be a long, drawn-out process, but that's the picture in uh, Northern Ireland. Let's head to Scotland now. Hannah Brown, which, uh, how many councils have you got up and who's up and who's down and where should we be keeping an eye on? Yeah, so basically in, in Scotland, we're kind of seeing that it's going to be a, an SNP win, but the, the real battle here is the battle for second place. Um, and a recent Savannah Combra's election poll undertaken from the Scotsman or undertaken by Savannah Comrades for our paper showed Labour is looking likely to nab second place from the Tories in Scotland, which is a huge move for us. It's one of the um, first times we've ever kind of seen, well, uh, since about 2016, that Labour would find its place in that. It kind of comes um, as popularity of, you know, senior UK government ministers in Scotland as a result of the Barthy Gate row. Um, and the cost of living 
crisis and it kind of shows that the Tories are really going to be impacted in Scotland because um, they've gone completely down in favour. I think Rishi Sunak, which is one of the most interesting parts of our poll, he used to be one of the most favoured Tories among the Scots and now he's almost hated as much as Boris Johnson. He suffered a 26 point drop in his net favourability and now sits at a minus 48% down from 22%. Um, so he's 10 points ahead of Boris Johnson, who also saw a significant drop of seven points. Uh, so really in Scotland, I think our polling guru, Sir John Curtis, <laughs> called it a battle of kind of the supremacy between the unionist, the fragmented unionist, unionist vote. So it's really kind of down to the Labour um yeah, Labour and Tories kind of bang out for second place, but not much to kind of be expected from SNP kind of holding on to most of the votes here. How significant would that be? The Labour Party's been in the doldrums for such a long time in Scotland. Um, uh, but Anna Sawa seems to have, uh, you, you know, had a better start in the job than some of his predecessors as Scottish Labour leader. Um, similarly, Douglas Ross is the new Scottish Conservative leader has been a bit I mean, I think you could argue all over the place on the question of Boris Johnson. He called for him to go and then he said he shouldn't go. And then he's tried to sort of be neutral on the on the subject. Whichever one of them emerges uh, in second place uh, over the weekend might actually feel like they have a bit of momentum behind them. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, there is such a, like you mentioned, Matt, uh, a kind of issue with Douglas Ross at the moment with the Tories, the, the will he won't he support Boris. Obviously, now he is currently support, supporting uh, Johnson over the Ukraine crisis, but it's really kind of damaged his reputation, I think, in Scotland with seeing how genuine um, he is towards kind of, yeah, what, what people support here in Scotland, knowing that Boris Johnson is not a favoured ca uh, character here, uh, his support for Johnson might really impact uh, how people vote in this election. Uh, but Anna Sarwar is kind of coming up as quite a uh, quite a good. He's he's a great spokesperson for for Labour. He's a great orator, and that's really been seen in his recent campaign trails, uh, which might just win him win him the the vote and win him favour in Scotland over the Tories. <coughs> Uh, so that's a picture in uh, in Scotland. What about in Wales, Laura? Where, where, how many seats are up for grabs and which are the ones we should be keeping an eye on? Well, Matt, there are 22 councils in Wales and all 1,234 seats are up for grabs in 762 wards. Um, this is the first election that young people aged 16 and 17 are able to vote in Wales at local level. That was introduced for the Senev parliamentary elections last year, similar to Scotland in that respect. Um, and really the question in Wales is how much, uh, how well will Labour do? Labour will celebrate the century of dominance in Welsh elections this November. It's always the largest party in national elections. And that's quite something, you know, a century of always winning elections. It's, it's some machine. But the question here in the local elections is how much of the ground that Labour lost last time in 2017 can it recapture? And it will recapture some of it. They lost around 100 councillors in the uh, last local uh, elections and they lost control of three local authorities, which is... Uh, pretty pretty bad showing for a party like Welsh Labour. They lost Bridgen, Blaenau Gwent and Merthyr Tydfil. They'll be looking to regain majority control there to add to the seven councils that Labour currently uh, holds. Conservatives did very well back in um, 2017. Of course, they were on a high in the run-up to the 
2017 election and they were polling neck and neck with with Welsh Labour at that time which is a very different situation now where there's a 15 point gap between Welsh Labour and the Conservatives so they gained around 80 seats last time I think they'll be look they'll people expect them to lose some of those so it's about expectation management for the Welsh Conservatives the extent to which they can hold on to at least some of the 80 seats that they gained and also the single council where they have majority control which is Monmouthshire, right on the border um, with England. But I mean, you know, lo local elections are hyper-local, as, as we all know in some cases, and they're likely to be a couple of surprising results. The independents have a big role in Welsh politics, particularly in areas like Pembrokeshire and Powys in the rural areas. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how many of those make um, breakthroughs again. And then there's Plaid Cymru. Now, as Hannah mentioned, the SNP are expected to, to win the Scottish local elections again, a succession of successes. The difference in Wales in terms of the Nationalist Party, Plaid Cymru, is, well, there's two differences. First of all, Plaid Cymru is part of a cooperation agreement with Welsh Labour in the Senedd. So the two parties are very closely related on a policy front. And secondly, we don't have the binary that Scottish politics has over independence versus the union. The, the Welsh Labour Party is actually having a mature debate about the union and has pointed out that there are some significant structural flaws with the union. So we, we have a very different, more nuanced debate over support for constitutional change here. So it'll be inter interesting to see how Plaid Cymru does, but we're not expecting major gains for Plaid, more a case of digging deeper in the areas where it controls, like Ceredigion and Ismorn and Carmarthenshire. That's a picture in, in uh, Wales. Let's come to England now then. Uh, Josiah Mortimer, first of all, give us a picture of uh, London because in particular the sort of question of uh, good night, bad night for the Conservatives does, does hinge a lot on what happens in London. That's right, yeah. So all of London's 32 boroughs uh, are up for election this time. It's about 1,800 seats, which is, um, well, it's 40-odd it's percent of all of the local council seats that are up for election in, in England this time. So it is a really massive round of elections here and last time in 2018 Labour, Labour made quite a lot of gains um, it was their second strongest ever result in the capital amid sort of Brexit chaos um, elsewhere in England the Tories also picked up seats last time as, as UKIP collapsed so um, it'll be interesting to see just how much further Labour can go ahead of their sort of 2018 high watermark um, but yeah elsewhere in England there's uh, 146 councils up for election more than 4,000 seats so um, there, will, there will be big battles there as well, but definitely all eyes will be on London, particularly seats like Westminster, um, which is uh, it's been Tory controlled for, for decades now. Um, Labour really hoping to take that, that back from them amid uh, party, the Partygate scandal. Barnet in North London, where Labour did, uh, well, they ho hoped to take it in 2018, uh, but anti-Semitism concerns in the borough where you know, something like a third of the UK's Jewish population live um, meant that didn't happen. And then there's also the, the Tory borough of Wandsworth as well, which um, which Labour are hoping to take take from that party. So um, the messaging coming from the parties is really interesting. Actually, Labour, uh, as you might imagine, really pushing on the cost of living crisis. Um, but the Tories uh, are also saying it's a cost of living crisis that uh, voters can't afford to have a uh, high council tax under Labour. So <laughs> interesting to see which of those actually uh, wins out. Keir Starmer's call for an emergency budget or Tories call to keep council, council tax low. So. That's an interesting battle, I think. Yes, everyone knows it's a cost of living crisis. It just depends whose fault it is, depending in, in different parts of the country. I'm, I'm interested in um, whether or not uh, who's going to be staying up and who's uh, who's not. Any top tips for staying up? 
I mean, Peter, you're not staying up, are you? Well, you might be Friday into Saturday. I was going to say, yeah, ours is expected to be longer, so I'll probably spread my, <laughs> spread my sleep out over a number of days. You need to pace yourself. You need I to do, pace absolutely. Yourself. Anyone else, anyone else uh, who, who's going to be staying up? We're counting on Friday in the day in Wales, um, so media stuff from mid-afternoon, but, you know, so not probably not required to stay up this time. What about in Scotland, Hannah? Well, this is my first time covering um, the elections uh, as a political reporter. So I think I'm going to, yeah, I'm just going to be kind of washed up in all the excitement. I think our shifts have changed around a wee bit. I was on for an AM and now it's changed to noon, which I can imagine is just going to you know, go in as it comes. But the excitement will keep me up, hopefully. Very good. Very good. Uh, what about you, Josiah? Uh, yeah, very lucky. Barnet is uh, getting its results announced at around 8, 8 a.m. On, on Friday morning, so I'll uh, probably rock up around 5 or 6 a.m. That's horribly uh, civilised. <laughs> no, I feel very guilty for my... I, ha- I have a parental dilemma. The other doors, but... I have oh. a parental dilemma as well, Matt. My oh. two kids want to go and see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse, the Marvel movie that comes out Thursday night into Friday, so I'm going to have to balance that between oh, so you, reporting you as well. Be, you might be very tired, but <laughs> only because you've been to the cinema. For three hours. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. You need to get these priorities right. You need to get these priorities right. It's a really good uh, rundown about uh, uh, what is happening in the the place to keep an eye on all of that. Uh, really good to do that. Right. What up next? We will do the. This is a fun bit. The disunited kingdom fun stories. We continue our chores to find which bit of the UK is the most fun. Joining me in the studio, Peter McVeary from our sister station U105 in Belfast. We've got Laura McAllister. A professor of Public Policy at the University of Cardiff. We've got Josiah Mortimer, City Hall editor at My London News and Hannah Brown, political reporter for The Scotsman. Right, this is the most important bit of this United We've done the boring old politics. Let's take a look at the leaderboard for our search for the most fun part of the UK. Currently in the lead, Scotland with 34 points. In second place, Northern Ireland with 33, Wales on 32. And England currently in last place with uh, just 31 points. So in that case, we'll let you go first, Asai. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your offering for, uh, for England? Oh, can you hear me OK? Yes, we can hear you now. Yeah, go for it. Good, 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 good. Um, so uh, it's a story from my London today. A South London mum has uh, basically invented a whole music festival for her daughter for her ninth birthday. Three and a half thousand pounds she's spending on it. And uh, she's calling it Skycella after her daughter, uh, uh, a riff on Coachella in, in the States. Um, but yeah, it's going to have a, a, apparently a live unicorn. Not, not quite sure how they do that. Uh, DJs. <laughs> You'd uh, thought that would cost slightly more than three grand if you actually had a, an actual unicorn. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Bouncy Castles is the lot. So I think, um, yeah, is, is that uplifting or is it depressing? I'm not sure. I'll let, I'll let the listeners decide. I did, I did have a pitch for a, a, a UK-wide uh, United Kingdom story, which is um, the Sex Pistols re-releasing their version of God Save the Queen for the Fustinum Jubilee, which I thought was um, uh, quite amusing. So, uh, yeah, two stories there. Two stories. I mean, I quite like, it is, does seem mad, this. Live animals, a bouncy castle, full barbecue catering, drinks and a DJ. Face painting, jewellery making, games, and a paddling pool for a nine yeah, for a yeah. nine a nine year old's not going to appreciate that. They won't even appreciate it if you take them to the cinema, Peter. Um, I, uh, I think <laughs> the, the best part is that it, it's months away from her actual birthday because it's also apparently third passes in the summer. So um, whether you can still call it a birthday, party, don't we all? Don't we all? Very good. That's the picture. For, that's the one for me. What about you, Peter? What have you got from Northern Ireland for us? 
If we're allowed to, I was going to give you a mention for the Balmoral Show. The country comes to town. Northern Ireland's largest agricultural event is happening Wednesday to Saturday next week with any end of tractors that you can Google. <laughs> um, should that be your thing you're interested in? But uh, I won't do that. I'm just going to talk to you about Dairy Girls was on last night. They announced last week that there's going to be an extra episode themed around the Good Friday Agreement. But it, it's gone mad. And the impact that it's had, the figures were revealed recently to say that the cast and crew in the film and round Derry have contributed eight million pounds to the economy wow. of Northern Ireland's second city and when we talk about levelling up across the UK people in Derry believe that a bit of levelling up was leaded in Northern Ireland that everything goes to Belfast and nothing comes up the road but Derry to give it a mention has just had Northern Ireland's largest jazz festival last weekend um, at home I've been talking to them last week we're partnering with them for the Northwest Business Awards they're just very keen to promote the city and to say how well it's going and I think Northern Ireland, we always talk about what we can't agree on, but one thing that we can agree on is if anybody wants to come for a weekend, then Belfast and Derry are two places. We should definitely we should be doing this. We should be taking the. We could we could use your studios, can't we? If we could come and do the show from Belfast. Oh, you could, yeah. That's we were we just talking about the view. The view from there is nearly as good as the view from here. <laughs> We've got view competition because we could see uh, Tower Bridge out of the window here. But what can you see? Um, out we can window? see um, the Titanic Museum and oh, the and we really, can see the, yeah. the the dry dock slipways where yeah. Titanic was built and launched from. Amazing. That probably that probably does. We have got the Tower of London. Do you know what we had last week? We had a yacht outside from the the fourth largest property magnet in the United States. But all the rumours were, oh no, it was Nicole Kidman came previously to film a movie, and she hired a boat and went around the coast of Northern Ireland. So people were trying to figure out which movie star it was, but it turned out to be a property magnet. Oh, that's much less exciting. That's very good. That's a lot of stories from Peter. Uh, let's go to uh, Scotland now. Hannah, what have you got for us? Kind of keeping on to the local election in council, I thought I'd bring a fun, slightly political story. Um, and I'm kind of going the same as Josiah with animal themes because the Scottish Parliament's hosting their doll of the year competition. Oh, now you know how to push my buttons. <laughs> and it's quite mad because politicians have been kind of interjecting their serious political campaigning on Twitter with, oh, here's my lovely wee cop named Digby. Um, <laughs> And, you know, he's, he's, he's coming up. And, and I feel really sorry for, like, constituents who are trying to get their serious issues in. Um, but everyone's absolutely obsessed with who's who's doing what. And there's this great uh, site in the British Parliament uh, site, I think also Dogs Trust, because it's run with the Kennel Club and Dogs Trust. Uh, and they've got a picture of the MSPs beside their, their dogs kind of holding on to them. And loads of people have been, like, retweeting and putting it on social media, <laughs> being like, they're more obsessed with their dogs than they are about their constituents. Uh, so that's a bit mad, and that's happening at the moment in Scotland. Uh, so it's causing a lot of rage, but it's also great to see dogs just whenever. So oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. More dogs. Politicians and their dogs. Oh, they're so good, those <laughs> pictures. Well, look at those... Look at the dogs. Uh, very good, Hannah. You, I mean, you might have cracked the code of how to win this. Uh, finally, Laura in Wales, what have you got for us? Uh, I've got a story about a, a really prominent Welsh TV company <clears throat> that's had a highly acclaimed new series about rain. Um, and we've got a lot of rain in Wales, which is one of the reasons why our greenery is so beautiful. But it's the, the key thing about this programme is a three-part series, and it's part of an international consortium looking at climate change and the weather and various other things. Um, but the, the in-depth look that it presents in this series is that, and this is the real revelation, raindrops don't actually look like teardrops. They look like hamburgers. Now, um, I guess it depends what you mean by hamburger. You know, we're talking about a triple-layer um, 
double cheeseburger or whatever. But it's a really interesting uh, conclusion of this program that we need to revisit how we think of raindrops. They're no, no longer these small romantic teardrops notion. It's all about hamburgers. Um, but rest assured, the program has been highly acclaimed. It's been given awards by the um, Cannes Industry Festival and various other organisations. So they've clearly got something there. And look up next time it rains and you might see what they're on about. See all the hamburg... Well, oh, that's good as well. I mean, clearly, Scott, clearly Hannah's got to get four points because she's gone with... She's, seven, she, she's got me looking at pictures of dogs. So that definitely wins. So I'll give four points for that. Uh, I've never seen Dairy Girls. Is it good? Oh, shame on you. I know, everyone. I'll add it, I'll add it to the list. Three episodes into Series 3. You'll have to watch it. I think... I think I think the raindrops might beat Dairy Girls, but I, I know that people... So let's give th- th- uh, three points to the TV series based on rain, uh, two points to Dairy Girls, and just because I don't want my daughter getting ideas about birthday parties, I'm afraid your three and a half grand music festival decide is only going to get one point, which means uh, there's been... Oh, a bit of check. Scotland's still in... The- Scot- Turns out Scotland might be the most fun part of the country. I mean, other other parts of the country are available. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, to take us to Disunited Kingdom. That was Hannah Brown from The Scotsman in Scotland, Josiah Mortimer from My London News, Laura McAllister from the University of Cardiff, and in the studio, Peter McVeigh from U105 in Belfast. That's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you can listen via the Times Radio app. Catch me Monday to Friday, 10 to 1, live on Times Radio. And if you want to come on and play the hugely popular quiz, can you get to number 10, email me your details, matt.chorley at times.radio, and we'll get you on very soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.